Jason, I think you should tell a drunk story. Uh, they're all long. Is the problem? They're all they all turn into like uh, Homeric uh, epics rather than that take place That's over true. many hours rather than just uh when you get really short. When you get drunk, you basically turn into Odysseus. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. There, there have been many long journeys that end at sun up on a weeknight. Um, that shouldn't be repeated, probably by uh, someone in their thirties. But at the time, it seemed like a great idea, and maybe it was for the time. But outside of that context, a terrible idea. We got lost in the woods once, but that's a too long of a story. <laughs> did you start? This is... Did you start singing uh, Broadway tunes? Uh, no, what we did was we tried to stop my one friend from drunk dialing his ex, uh, which turned into a whole thing. And then we also thought we were on the right path and then got close as close as we could to home without being able to get around a fence with barbed wire. So we had to turn back and start over. Were there more shenanigans after that? Or oh, was yeah. was basically just walking? Okay. As no, long no, as no, there were more shenanigans. No, it was a constant barrage of nonsense. Maybe we should turn this into a, a serial where for the first two minutes of every show, <laughs> Jason, the cold open is Jason telling two minutes of that story. Uh, I'd have to get permission. There are several people I'd have to consult for their permission before I could tell that story. You have one week to make that happen. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United, the U.S. national teams, and uh, the rest of MLS as well. Uh, we've got a good show for you tonight. We are going to do a bit of a grab bag, roundup, around the horn, whatever cliched metaphor you want to call this segment. We're just going to bounce around a bunch of different, mostly unrelated news items. And then in the segment, we're going to preview DC United's trip up to Jersey this coming Sunday uh, with Jason uh, Iapico from uh, Once Metro and the Red Bull Rant. He's going to be on to help us preview. Before we do any of that, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking tonight? So... You know, you all know my love of history and my love of beer. Uh, and so Hardywood, Bre- Hardywood Park Craft Brewery here in Richmond has, uh, they are, they have brewed a beer in the style of the first ever beer that was sold in cans. It was sold in Richmond, Virginia in 1935 as sort of a test market for canned beer. Uh, the brewery was not from Richmond, but they decided to offload their possibly sketchy product on a bunch of Southerners. And so... <laughs> and so, Richmond has the distinction of being the first uh, market to ever have commercially available canned beer. And this beer, the Hardywood Cream Ale, is brewed in that style. And it's very light... Uh, not very high uh, ABV, but it's a good warm weather beer. It's very it has it's very drinkable, but not in the sense that uh, some mass market beers are. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I had plans to um, recreate a cocktail I had, I guess, sometime last week uh, out at a restaurant. Uh, I went out and purchased all the things I needed. I had set out stuff. And then, as as per usual, I did not have enough time to make it. I didn't have close enough time to make it, so I cracked open a beer instead. Um, so I have uh, uh, Evolutions, uh, lot number three, their IPA, uh, Evolutions in Salisbury, Maryland, so on the eastern shore. Um, it's a high-end IPA. It's gotten a lot of praise and uh, what have you in various contests and criticisms and all those other C words. How long does it take you to make a cocktail? Is this like a one hour long involved process where you're like, no, using, this was using like seven fifty-five tinctures and no, drams yeah, and is, so on and so forth. It's, it's seven fifty-five and nothing has been done. You can't make a cocktail like in five minutes. Well, I was going to have to chop the cucumber and muddle some basil <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. I didn't have any simple <laughs> syrup. So I was going to make that. And it was simple syrup does like, take a while to make. Right. It was like, I That's don't have true. time to do most of this. So I gave up. Next time. I'm just curious what else was in this cocktail besides cucumber and basil. Drams, tinctures. Uh, it was going to be a cucumber basil uh, gimlet with gin. That's what okay. I was going for. Gotcha. 
I am drinking DC Brow's The Citizen Belgian Style Pale, um, partly because it was in my fridge and therefore available, and and partly because last night at or yesterday afternoon, I should say, at Boundary Stone during the St. Baldrick's event. And if you haven't yet, go to the site and find find my story on it. There's some fun video, about three minutes, that you should watch because it's lots of fun. Players and Ben Olsen getting their heads shaved. Uh, DC Brow donated one of two kegs they will ever make of something called uh, their Dank IPA, which is made with hops that are evocative of a certain substance that was recently legalized in the District of Columbia for recreational purposes. Is it uh, ether? It is It is not ether. Oh. <laughs> Alright, good. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, it, but it was surprisingly good and surprisingly drinkable. Um, and, and so I, I had DC Brow around and I just had one so that I could tell that story on on the podcast. Uh, so we've basically reached peak filibuster by all of us drinking beers from our respective uh, states and states, commonwealths, and or districts. Yes, jurisdictions. Yes, <laughs> we have. We have. <laughs> this is us jumping the shark. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we lasted 123 episodes before we did so. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's we're still going to be on. For, oh, for quite a while. Of We're just going to be declining the whole so, time. So is Happy right. Days. Yeah, exactly. So so we've got a lot of really mediocre years ahead of us, you guys. Uh, let's turn to the news. Uh, DC United and uh, Unite Here Local 25, which is a hotel and food service workers union, they agreed to a labor peace deal for the Buzzard Point project to include both the stadium and the hotel the team plans to build there. And this is separate from the uh, construction labor peace deal. This is once it's built and there are, you know, games happening and people staying at the hotel, the workers uh, will have a path to the union and middle wage, middle class wages and, and all that. And they, they promise not to strike as the result. Uh, ben, good news, obviously. Yeah, it's good news, and I was actually uh, kind of surprised that the hotel was mentioned so prominently in this announcement. I think we had all thought that that was uh, further down the line than the stadium, uh, probably maybe significantly further down the line, but the fact that it's mentioned prominently here uh, might be a tiny tidbit that the hotel might be built closer to the stadium than uh, than we all expected. But obviously, good news, things keeping moving. Uh, it was nice to get a blip of stadium news when we haven't heard anything in a while. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think you're right. The big thing, it, it could be that they decide to build the hotel concurrently with the stadium, which would be really nice, it would, um, both for revenue for the team perspective and a development in Buzzard Point in the neighborhood and Southwest perspective. And just generally, it'd be nice to have more stuff down there. Uh, yay stuff. Yay stuff. Um, someone who will probably be able to buy more stuff that maybe he couldn't afford before is Dave Casper now. Do you like that transition? That was one of my classic seamless segues. Until uh, you Dave, talked about it. it. Because it wasn't seamless at all. I didn't ruin anything. It was a bad segue. Uh, <laughs> Dave Casper uh, and DC United agreed to a new contract for the longtime general manager, uh, Dave Casper will now be around for at least a few more years, and he gets a title bump in the process to vice president of soccer operations. His focus will expand as part of the new title to include all the soccer infrastructure stuff. So the the new residential academy out in Maryland, um, if there's a USL team in the works, that'll be part of it. Um, the U23 team, which is now playing in the PDL for the first time, they played in a different amateur league before all of that comes under Dave Casper's purview now. Um, and I, I don't remember, did he win executive of the year last year or was he just a finalist in that voting? Either way, he, he's come a long way since, since 2013 when not a lot of these United fans necessarily wanted to see him return. Uh, now he's, he's, 
no one is questioning this decision to extend his contract. Jason, uh, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, it's a, uh, I mean, it's it's hard. It's, it would be a hard thing for them to not go through with that, um, given how how well last year went. Um, given that the draft, this still remains one of the best drafting teams in MLS. Um, where, as far as the international signings go, I do think that the fact that he was signed through 2017 um, means that he kind of has to. When we move to the new stadium, there's going to be a bigger name you have to expect, unless they all fall through somehow. Um, you have to expect that there will be a large, significant player. Maybe not a um, a, a player like uh, David Villa, for example, but certainly someone that's a, still a big deal. And I feel like that that might be, you know, the next step for Casper is is getting that signing right because we've obviously documented on the site a lot. Um, how most of those signings have not gone that well um, for a long time now. So, and he actually getting, said in an interview with with Steve Goff at the Washington Post that he would expect the purse strings to open up once <laughs> the new stadium is there and the new revenue streams are there. So, right. so I think you're right that that a big name DP is in the future once the new stadium is well concrete. Yeah, and then. Um, you know, getting that right isn't just about finding a good soccer player and pointing to him, you know, telling him how to drive to practice and, and what time the games are. Um, you have to get a guy that's actually the right personality. I mentioned Via a second ago, and he and Lampard are kind of a, a good illustration of what can go right or wrong because Lampard, um, Lampard could have pushed to be in New York from day one. Uh, he had the power to, to make sure that that happened, he and his people. And he's not there, um, whereas David Villa has over and over again said it was important for him to be from the start. It's important to um, help carry the team and be the face of the team. He knows the responsibility. He embraces it. Um, Kaká is doing the same thing in Orlando. Um, those are the kind of guys you want. If you're going to spend that kind of money, you have to get that kind of mindset out of the player. Um, if you've just got someone who's just accepting a paycheck to play somewhere, the, the various strangeness about MLS is going to make them maybe not play that well or not necessarily be that invested emotionally in the whole thing. And um, the the rest of the team looks for that. The fans look for that. The ex- expectations are so much higher because of the everyone knows you're making more money. So um, you've got to do more than just show up and be good at soccer. You've got to actually be super excited about being here. Um, and so that's maybe as big of a test for, for Casper as finding a good player. Actually, finding a good player might not even be that hard. You can tell who's good uh, by, you know, their resume will indicate most likely whether they're any good. If you're playing for a high-end team in England or Spain or Germany, you didn't get there by accident. Um, so that's the easy part. It's um, getting the right match. And I think we, in the past with Gallardo, um we had the right match with Verone, and that fell through. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think Gallardo was completely uncommitted, but he definitely wasn't here and excited about it. Um, spe- he wasn't excited specifically about it. He was just doing his job. And maybe that was a contributing... Fa- I mean, obviously injuries got in the way there, but that might have contributed to the uh, incredibly slow recovery time from those injuries. Uh, you know, that's speculation, but that could be what <laughs> happened. It seems likely that that's what happened. I also have a slight conspiracy theory about the title bump. Ooh, okay. let's hear it. I love conspiracy theories. I don't actually, but let's hear it anyway. <laughs> uh, my thought is that either if they find the right person for this job, or if Casper needs to be shuttled off in a different direction if he performs terribly, with the new Vice President of Soccer Operations title, they could hire somebody underneath him as a general manager for the... For DC United, the MLS team, mm-hmm. and still keep Casper on as VP of Soccer Operations. So if there was a situation where they could find somebody for that, they could, they could, that could be a possibility. Right, or or a situation like in uh, in Seattle where they their GM basically said, "I will step aside if we find someone better than me." Exactly. This job, and they hired Garth Loggerway, and then he went off to go focus on, on business stuff rather than right. well, not long way, the, the incumbent did. Um, right. I don't, so I, don't th- it, I don't think Dave Casper would focus on business stuff, but I could see him focusing on like 
youth development and draft stuff and mm-hmm. uh, well, things like that, if, if it took a turn that way. Right, and I mean, he could also end up outsourcing, basically, the if there's a USL team or or, you know, some of the other, essentially, departments of, of the club, he could hire underlings to, to run those for right. him right. while he can focus on the bigger picture stuff. So uh, I don't know if that really rises to a conspiracy theory. Probably not. But but I like your 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 framing. I like your thinking. I like where your head's at, Bromley. Yeah. Uh, last week we had Leanne on the show to help us preview the Algarve Cup final, uh, which did not go as expected in that the U.S. <laughs> actually showed up, looked pretty good, and won over France 2 to nothing. which some I, I don't even know what to make of it. I, Jill Ellis just loves completely combo- discombobulating us. Uh, yep. Jason, tell, tell me what happened in the Algarve Cup final, and what does it mean for the World Cup this summer? Uh, I think there was, a, there was an element of France maybe thinking that uh, things were going to go like they did the last time where the score was um, 2 nothing France, but it was, you know, uh, the game pointed to a higher score for France, if anything, rather than it being close uh, for the U.S. Um, it helped a lot that uh, the U.S. got a really spectacular goal from Kristen Press. Um, that's the kind of thing, though, that, uh, we talked about this when we talked about Carly Lloyd as sort of a cheat code uh, to produce goals out of nowhere. Um, and if teams are like that, if your team can do that consistently, great. But um, most soccer teams don't tend to score spectacular goals every single time. Um, in the preseason, we talked about how uh, United needed some trash goals. Um, and if, you, if, if you're playing really well, you'll start to produce those goals where the goal scorer really just has to uh, not screw up. Um, and this was not like that. Um, I, I still worry about the, the tactical setup. I, it's still um, it's kind of a mess because it's very easy to just sort of congest the middle and, and all the U.S. players flood there, and then you can win the ball and move out, and all of a sudden there's no one back to cover it. It's all, you're all of a sudden attacking four defenders instead of uh, defenders and a midfield. So there's still a lot of work to be done, and I... I Honestly, I kind of worry that this may have pulled out this experience um, in Portugal may have told Ellis that what what she's doing is going well. Um, U.S. fans may remember if you go back long enough uh, before the '98 World Cup, uh, Steve Sampson was victorious the first the first two times he used the three six one. He won those games. He beat we beat Austria three nothing right before the World Cup playing that formation. And I think those games informed uh, Samson that the three six one was the way to go. And then we got to the World Cup, and it was absolutely not the way to go. Um, I don't think we're gonna. I don't think it's gonna go that badly because, unlike that team, we didn't have to play our best to win because the U.S. women's team is one of the best teams in the world. Um, even in a tough group, they're still on paper the best team, considerably the best team. Um, but I still worry that it's just it's a little too easy tactically to shut this team down. But if they can keep you know, pulling the goals out that they've they've been able to pull off either on the dribble or with long range shots. Um, Alex Morgan can um, finish better than almost anyone. Abby Wambach has an aerial advantage over just about anyone she's going to come up against. Those things can kind of bail the team out. But I still, it's nice that they won and it's good that they found a way to make this formula work. But I still don't know that that's a uh, sustainable pattern for the World Cup. I think everyone should be playing the three six one. DC United included. <laughs> so, I, I, so it would be a, it, how if every single team played the same three six one in the same way that the U.S. did. Um, it would be a way to sort of figure out whose players are best because they'd be having <laughs> to overcome a terrible system um, in the same exact ways that every other team would have to overcome it. So, I, I guess it's a it would be a sort of a weird uh, funhouse mirror version of soccer, I guess. <laughs> The weird thing about that system is, you know, there there are systems designed to take advantage of players' strengths on your roster, and that's a, a setup that's just not designed to take advantage of anybody's strengths at this uh, point. I think in it history. was inten- it really was just intended to deal with the fact that we only had one good striker. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, and, and and our other strikers were a little past it. It was like, uh, we'll only play with one. Like, well, why don't we play four five one? Then like, no, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> 
What if we tried with less defenders as well? Because <laughs> I don't like our defenders know. either. It's too and then you finish last in the World Cup. <laughs> All right. Uh, the U.S. men's national team will be playing the Gold Cup this summer with a chance to sweep this cycle's World Cups or Gold Cups and therefore book their ticket to the Confederations Cup in Russia the year before the next World Cup. There are so many cups right now. Book your tickets now to go to Russia in 2017, everyone. Yeah. There you go. They're going to uh, sell out. That is our legal advice to you. I hate Book you. Book now. I loathe you. Uh, the USA has been drawn into Group A in the Gold Cup. Uh, they will play Panama, Haiti, and either Honduras or French Guiana, which I mostly remember from the game show Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego because it was the most fun name for the chief to announce when she was calling out countries at the end of the show and they had to run with the little siren lights and, and set them down, she would yell, French Guiana, and it was... What about the video game? Did you ever play the video game on five and a quarter inch floppy? Of course I played the Yeah, video. in okay, elementary good, school. Good. I think they made sure. people play that in elementary school throughout the 80s and early 90s. There's like, that's like a, like a 15-year footprint that you had to play that game. I yeah, I also I, had the books. And I would read the books and chase Carmen Sandiego around I, in book form. I just remember one of my formative experiences as a child was playing that game on the Tandy 1000 that my parents had on five and a quarter inch floppy with a uh, almanac next to the computer. So I could like <laughs> look up all the flags really quick and look up like people's currencies like... I always felt like that was... I know you were supposed to research it, but I felt like if I didn't know it, it was a personal failing on my part. <laughs> you should get it as more of a litmus test on on you as a human. Yeah, and I would Rather play with other people. Tool. Yes, okay. exactly. I, I kind of like that mindset. <laughs> <laughs> I would play it... Like, I would go over to a friend's house or something, and they would be playing it, and I would, you know, I would not let them look it up. I was like, no, we have to get this <laughs> without looking it up. There are clues to be had... In the game. I'm sure of it. Um, it's worth, it's worth noting that the, the woman who was the chief on the TV show was also the radio DJ in The Warriors who directed all the gangs around town to attack the Warriors. It's the same lady. She switched sides. Yeah, well, yeah, in the 70s, maybe things, uh, you know, she was in a dark period in her life and was um, playing good music, but also, you know, trying to uh, help a gang war happen. Uh, but yeah. later she, she joined a during the side of justice. Yeah, she she went straight and worked her way up the ladder and became chief of Acme Law Enforcement. Filibuster, the Carmen Sandiego podcast. I I am happy to take it in that direction Me too. if you want to. I'm, that's awesome. Unfortunately, <laughs> our listeners are here for soccer. So uh, Group A in the Gold Cup does look like it is the toughest group. And toughest, of course, is a relative term. It is nothing compared to any of the groups in the World Cup or, or even the Euro uh, championships, but but it will be the toughest of the three groups. Um, that said, is there any reason not to expect the U.S. to win the group and advance out cleanly? Uh, yeah, they, they should be able to do that on home soil. Um, but we are talking about Panama and Honduras. We're both in the hex, so you have half of the last hexagonal in one group. Uh, Haiti has very recently emerged as um, they've, they've come on by leaps and bounds um, in the last few years. So they've started to become one of the better Caribbean teams. Um, they've sort of taken Trinidad and Tobago's spot, basically. They've moved ahead of them and still behind Jamaica, but still um, on the way up. Uh, so it's not an easy group. I, I'm, you know, I don't know that French Guiana has a chance at all against Honduras, but um, it, yeah, it's a lot tougher, but it's a consequence of not doing as well in the World Cup. I, um, I've noticed over the years that the Gold Cup draw tends to reflect um, how you're doing elsewhere. So usually the U.S. and Mexico would magically find themselves in uh, softer groups, whereas Costa Rica, who was always third, would have a tough draw. Um, and this time around, um, we were the team that didn't do so well by comparison to those two, and um, we have the tougher draw. And, and this being CONCACAF, um, you know, their smoke... It, when they say where, there, where there's smoke, there's fire, you have to assume that there's always smoke at CONCACAF. 
it's more smoldering than, than yeah. It, the building is the building's on fire somewhere. It's just is it the fire that you think it is, or is it on another floor? <laughs> if it's on another floor, you don't have to worry about it right now. No, it'll come up business. later. That's it's a problem for later. Hopefully, the fire is not near the apartment that Chuck Blazer has just for his cats. Those poor cats. I know. Hopefully, it's in Miami and not in New York. Yeah. Uh, last thing before we turn our attention to DC United's trip up to the swamp, and that is the Richmond Kickers. Uh, apparently, we, we've heard through the grapevine that DC United's four loanees to the Kickers have been finalized. They just haven't been announced yet. So very quickly, Ben, who do you think, who do you want to see loaned down to Richmond, at least at the start of the season? I mean, Travis Wara is an obvious one. Jalen Robinson is another obvious one because he's already been playing with the kickers in at least one of their preseason friendlies. Uh, I don't know if I want... Lu- I mean, Luke Mishu's probably going to go too because he has no chance uh, with the first well, team. I think, I think that depends on when Corb comes back. I guess. Or when, sorry, when Taylor Kemp comes back. When Taylor Kemp comes, comes back. back. But- because Mishu made the bench in the opener. Yeah. Or in the in I guess the Champions League game, and one of them he yeah, he yeah, made yeah. the bench. But I think eventually I think he's going to be one of them still. And the last one, I think I'd like it to. He hasn't really made the bench much, so I think Colin Martin needs more game experience, whether it be in DC or in Richmond. And the way things have gone so far, it doesn't look like it's going to be in DC. So hopefully, it's in Richmond. All right, there you go. We'll see who it is. Soon enough. Uh, and now it's time to welcome in our guest for the night. This is Jason Iapico from Once a Metro and the Red Bull Rant podcast. He's here to help us preview DC United's trip up to New Jersey to face the Red Bulls. That'll be Sunday, 5 p.m. on ESPN2 and ESPN Deportes and watch ESPN and wherever streams are had, I guess. Jason, welcome to the show. Welcome back, I should say. Uh, thanks. Nice to be back. Uh, Jason, it's nice to see you again. Yeah, good it's, to it's, see it's you seems again. like it's been a long time. Yeah, forever. <laughs> Separated at birth, you two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason, you know the drill. What are you drinking tonight? All right, so in honor of St. Patrick's Day, I have a dry uh, Irish coffee stout called Poda Cafe by Rinduin Brewery in Tom's River, New Jersey. So you you weren't here for the first segment, but each of us is drinking a beer from our home jurisdiction. Ben is drinking a Virginia beer. Jason is drinking a Maryland beer. I'm drinking a D.C. beer. I know you don't live in New Jersey, but you are representing the state of New Jersey right now, (laughs) drinking a New Jersey beer, because this is the night that we jump the shark. Well, (laughs) here's here's my thought process. One, it's it's an Irish stout. St. Patrick's Day is tomorrow, so it just made sense. On top of that, I have a kegerator that my beautiful wife bought me, and that's what I got it from. So Wow, well done. Nice. Oh, yeah. yeah, you can't complain about that. No, I cannot. Give her props from all of us yeah. <laughs> for, for her gift-giving skills. So let's let's talk about your metros for, for a minute here. Quiet off-season for you guys. Not a lot happening. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was the quietest off-season on record. I have no idea how I got through the boredom. It well, I, just, I, like, I do know how. You read Ali Curtis's 8,000-page treatise on <laughs> how to win and profit in soccer. Well, it's only 300 pages. But, you know, when you read it three times, it, it takes a while. So <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you spent your winter. Um, obviously, uh, Mike Petke out. Thierry Henry is gone. Eric Alexander is gone. Uh, Jay Heaps comes in to coach. Uh, Felipe Martin. Sorry. Jesse March. <laughs> Je- what did I say? Jay Heaps. Oh, Jesse Marsh. <laughs> Why did I say Jay Heaps? Clearly they all look the same to me. <laughs> wrong wrong former player who liked to foul people a lot. See, they all look the same to me. Um, Jesse Marsh, Felipe Martins, which I should say bastard Felipe Martins. <laughs> we had that conversation last night. I know I know what's going on there. And, and Sasha Question all in. My question for you is... 
make it make sense? How do they all fit together? What does this team look like now compared to last year? Um, In four words or less. <laughs> I, I can't do it. Ignore, ignore the last part. Ignore uh, the last part. Take I, as many words as you need. I, 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 say, I can't do it in four words. Um, but I will say this, that Thierry Henry's ghost is going to haunt this team this year because people are not going to stop talking about him. And it's and honestly, it's completely unfair to the players. But um, in reality, this is almost a completely new team. I think it's like four or five regular starters are back. Um, obviously, we have Sasha Kleston, who should be a DP, but isn't because of MLS allocation, funny business, just like Dick Smith screwed is for NYCFC. Um, Felipe Martin, uh, I can't remember. There's a defender, too, that we got from Montreal. I can't remember his name, but it's... Carl Thank you. Uh, he, he didn't play in the first game, so that's why I didn't think of him. Yeah. Um, he was listed as starting that game, too, which was strange, uh, on TV, or at least on the MLS live feed that came through. Um, they listed him as starting and Felipe not in the squad, and then I was like, where's number 22? That's Felipe, and they got the wrong Montreal player. So we're already it's, it's already spreading. They're being mixed up left and right. Well, it's okay. Uh, Felipe wore number eight, which was uh, Reggie Lundula's jersey last year. So, and and he and he's apparently on his way out too. So, you know that that five to four is going to drop by one more uh, in probably mm-hmm. in a few weeks if things work out that way. But uh, back to the, the question: This is a completely new team. Um, we've had one real game, and it did look good. Um, they had enough tempo style or a quote energy drink style, if you will. Um, <laughs> I know. Uh, I I still shake my head at that one, but uh, <laughs> I have to say they they actually looked pretty good against Sporting Kansas City. Um, they were a team that you would expect the way they played is a team that hasn't played together enough, and it showed. I mean, they had great stretches, but for most of the game, even though they did control possession, I think it was like fifty eight forty two for New York. Um, they just are not a team that's played together. It's not used to each other. And on top of that, you got people playing out of position, like Bradley Roy Phillips. He's up top alone, but he, he was used as a hold-up striker, not a target striker. Um, Felipe was in the middle as kind of a box-to-box midfielder. I think he's more attacking, um, but he wasn't like the central midfielder because you had it was a. If you go by FIFA, um, the video game it's a four-five-one. Uh, Dax is kind of like the, the bottom of the V, mm-hmm. which for Dax makes sense, but you got Mike Rella on the left who likes to stay on the ball but doesn't have the skills and won't give it up. Uh, Kleshin is Sasha Kleshin. He just needs to get in the groove of MLS again, and um, back line is a bunch of players who hasn't played together, and it's going to be vulnerable like we were on the, the goal by Kansas City. So is the, the central midfield triangle Felipe... McCarty in, in question, or is one of them pushed off to the side? Uh, at the moment, it's more of a triangle with Dax kind of being the point at the bottom. It's it's kind of a, um, if you're looking at it from the goalkeeper up, it's, it's a V formation in the midfield, mm-hmm. so Dax is kind of playing that point. Um, you know, the, the kind of like a sweeper position in front of the back line, and question uh, and Felipe kind of flanking him. I, I think they were a little fluid with it. I mean, you know, every team was a little fluid with their formations, but I think they were fluid a little bit more than most against Sporting Kansas City. But honestly, it was kind of hard to tell because it was the first game and people all over the place aren't used to who's where yet. So, um, yeah. yeah, I know. I know. Question had some success at Shivas USA playing out on the left side of midfield, not even in central midfield. That was a different formation and a different time, a different point in his career. So, I was curious if if. Jesse Marsh, not Jay Heaps, was going to be using him in that way. Yeah, no, it seems like he's going to be used more of a, a central, uh, maybe more of a, a central defender, um, but he's definitely going to be like a box-to-box type uh, midfielder. The Red Bulls actually signed today, um, who probably has one of the best nicknames ever from what I've heard. Uh, it's uh, Kimar Lawrence, a.k.a. Taxi, who, <laughs> apparently, who apparently can play on the left wing. And we don't have he, a true left winger, so is he called Taxi because he looks he's the spitting image of Danny DeVito? Unfortunately no. Uh, but the us the bright side for us is that he plays for um Ted Danson? 
Maybe, maybe, no. maybe, no. Anybody on that show? No, not at all. No, <laughs> unacceptable, Jason. But the, the, bright, the bright side is that um, he is a left winner, and he's relatively young, so we actually might have somebody to take over that position. And uh, I, I kind of say, but Mike Rello, who is a kind of a journeyman at this point, never really stuck with any team, might have a fight on his hands to keep a starting spot only one week into the season. Good, Jason. You're up. Uh, Jason, what I what I was interested in watching New York, given that they're trying to change um, style of play and fit in all these new players, um, I think the main thing that they're probably going to be focused on in the first few weeks is is getting the defending right, and they're playing an unfamiliar center back duo with um, Damian Perrinell, who was there last year but didn't play very much, and he was played with, or paired with um, Ronald Zubar for most of the Zubar left the game a little early, but um, what were your first impressions, and, and do you think that um, either of those players can fill in um, and make up for the loss of Hamas and Olave, who went back to RSL? Uh, they seem to have a pretty good first game. Uh, like you mentioned, Zubar came out early with an injury, and when Matt Miasa came in, and we, we kind of talked about it on Rebel Rant, I don't know if it was the field conditions or nerves or whatever, but Miasa didn't play that great when he came in. Um. We don't know yet about Zubar, so it's very possible that he doesn't start against you guys. You could see a Miazga appearance. Uh, but from what I saw during the first game, it does have signs of being promising. Uh, it's just like any other partnership. When you're only a few games in, it's hard to judge how it's actually going to work out. You need that playing time to see how they solidify. And unfortunately, the Red Bulls um, probably are going to have to do that real quick because I know the schedule, since they move some games around, is going to uh, catch up with them in a hurry. So uh, I, I have a little bit of hope, but uh, honestly I've kind of written this year off completely already as a rebuilding year, so if it works out, it works out. But um, my, my concern is more uh, Parnell. He's, I, I think, on the wrong, the wrong side of 30 at the moment. So he has a few, probably a few years left, but, you know, if for a rebuilding team, that's not necessarily a good sign. Hmm. Uh, I guess the other the other question I had was um, you mentioned Grella and uh, how he might have competition and Salzito came in for him as well, um, but no, none of those the, those are both not natural left sided players. Um, has Jesse Marsh said anything about a possible formation change at any point, or is he going to stick with how it is and just look for better players that fit the system better? I imagine he's going to, at least in the short term, you're not going to see a change in formation. Uh, I, I think Marsh is the kind of guy that's going to let it let it go for a little bit, see if see if it works, see if it doesn't. Um, I imagine Brendan Lawrenson is kind of a move towards if it doesn't work out, we have a guy to kind of take over the left wing and keep the formation attack. Um, we'll have to see how that goes, but I would hope that if it doesn't work out, that Marsh is not afraid to pull a trigger on a change. But we'll have to see because. Uh, we only have one year with Montreal to fall back on him from coaching-wise, and uh, his team started off slow, but it was an expansion team. So, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of stuff to go off of in terms of if he is a guy that will make changes when he needs to. Ben? Uh, so my my main question is uh, a little more off the field. Uh, obviously, there is a lot of uh, fan unhappiness with the current New York Red Bulls ownership group, a.k.a. the Red Bulls, them, uh, Red Bull themselves. Um, especially since they, from an outsider's perspective and maybe from a surface perspective, they seem to do this uh, off-season on the cheap as compared to previous seasons. Uh, what, what's the general sentiment around Red Bull uh, right now, and do you think that the company will still own the team in the next couple of years? This is kind of hard to answer. You have to. The answer you're going to get on this depends on who you ask. There's some people that um, are really adamant about Red Bull selling the team. They've went so far as to uh, create a movement that they've named Red Bull Out. Uh, they bought a billboard on I-280, which was only miles away from uh, Red Bull Arena, and the Cosmos and all their infinite wisdom decided to buy a billboard on the opposite side of Red Bull Arena on I-280, advertising that their team, which for them is a great move, because you know. Is it in the same direction? So you, you drive by, you see Red Bull out, you see Red Bull Arena, and then you see the Cosmos? 
That's my understanding is that they're both in the same line. Of, they're both in the same way. So I don't know what the order is, but mm-hmm. supposedly you can see one and the other. Um, there are some fans who are willing to give the chance. Um, the general sentiment, obviously, is why the hell did you fire Mike Pecky after a supporter shield in the Eastern Conference semifinal run? Uh, there's been no real reason except for that uh, Curtis said that Pecky wasn't really fit to lead uh, the kind of plan that he had, uh, which it sounds like that the team is actually looking to invest more in its youth setup and its academy and uh, USL, uh, well, now it's just USL, not USL Pro, uh, with its USL team, uh, NYRB2. So it might have been a um, thing about Marsh has experience in working with youth because he was actually a coach at Princeton for, I think, the two years in between. So I think the idea is that Marsh was brought in to kind of help come up with that uh, game plan of this is how we want our players to train from academies through USL to the senior team. Um, whether or not that works, we'll see. Uh, personally, uh, I was obviously upset about Pecky because him and Robin Frazier done a great job, and I thought the writing was on the roll, uh, wall a little bit when Robin Frazier turned down the contract extension, which was only for a year. Um, but unlike most, I'm willing to give the team a chance. Uh, whether or not they'll sell in a year, I have no idea. Some people are saying they will. Some people are saying they won't. Honestly, I don't know. I, I'm i not in the front office. I can't even guess at what they're thinking. Because in my head, if you're going to sell the team, why would you fire Mike Pecky? The, the value he brought to the team last year, or the last two years, being you know the, the kid who played for the team growing up, uh, if, if you're looking to sell, you don't you don't fire that guy and drop the value of the team. So. Makes sense to me. Um, Double agent Ali Curtis doing his job. That that's yep. you know that's the conspiracy theory because Curtis worked for the league office. So some people are saying this is Don Garber pushing the somebody on the team to force a sale, and I'm, I I don't believe that. I mean, we, we, we when we say that we're not even talking about we're not even getting that deep into it. He played for DC United at one point, so he's he's briefly. DC United mole <laughs> very very briefly. But he was you brought in. But you can say the thing about Pecky. Pecky played for you guys. I mean, yeah, yeah. but he was always a he was always a Jersey guy. He was, That's true. He was. I, I will say I, I kind of when uh, I noticed Pecky live tweeting uh, games over the weekend, and it occurred to me that somebody one of these networks should absolutely put him on the air, um, and let him talk about these games uh, as they're going on. I think, um, I think that would be much more interesting than a lot of the other options that are, are out there. It it would be the only problem is that he won't get a shot because, um, and I, I think you guys would know this from his time at DC. He, <laughs> he doesn't have a great filter for what he's talking about. Which don't get me wrong, I love about the guy, right? But for, for TV, that no, that would never fly. Like the first week he says something wrong, he's gone. Like it's just unfortunate. It's happened. true. It's it's probably too good of an idea. It, it's uh, flying too close to the sun. So yes. some okay. someday when Ben Olson has won five MLS cups and retires, we need a uh, not safe for work uncensored Mike <laughs> Petke and Ben Olson just calling games together and just it, it'd be amazing. That would be pretty outstanding. You know, it's it's actually kind of funny. I, you guys might have reported on it, but Ben Olson apparently offered Pecky contract after he got fired, <laughs> and you know Pecky's like, "Look, I'm not going to. This is the." His his deal when he took over was this is the team I want to coach. I didn't want to coach for anybody else. So I mean, unless something happens with the team, I don't, he's not really going to go anywhere. But um, it, you know what? A, a him and Olsen podcast I would listen to. <laughs> I, I would love I would love honestly to get him on Red Bull Rant and just let him go wild because we are an uncensored show. So for us, it works perfectly. I'll just let him ramble all day long. I don't care if it was like an hour and a half long or just him talking. It'd be perfect. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know a lot of people who are not Red Bulls fans who would listen to that. So, I I I think a lot of people would. I mean, he's a player, but he when you hear some of his comments, like like every time the Red Bulls went into halftime down, he'd come over, talk to the sideline camera, and be like, "We need to do better, These guys. This is the disgrace." Like he he was completely honest with it. I mean, it got the only downside of that was that he. The team should never been in that place that often, but he was completely honest. Willing, he was willing to say his mind. I think it wasn't the fact he knew he was on TV. He probably would have let loose some f bombs every once in a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. But 
Maybe maybe what we need is you know MLS has been pushing the SAP button. Maybe we need like the um some sort of authenticated uh thing where if you can prove that you're of of whatever age they would set, um you can listen into the uh the Mike Mike Petke language choice um feed where maybe he he lets loose with a few bad words, but it's okay because you, you've been proven to be an adult, so you can listen in. The, NS- um, the maybe N- that's what we need. The NSFW button. Yeah, uh, and, well, you know what? So, just Packy's just go pirate radio on it. Just start broadcasting games with a picture of himself, like a Google Hangout, just with a picture of him down <laughs> down the corner, streaming the game and just giving his thoughts. Just go pirate radio with it, or yeah, just second I mean, screen. You don't even have to stream the game. Just say, turn the game on your TV, mute it. Yeah. And I'm just gonna talk at you. Just yeah, come on my exactly. YouTube channel. Uh, I would listen to that more than uh, there are several MLS announcing teams where when I see that that's the game I'm gonna watch through MLS Live, I like. I put my head in my hands because I know it's going to be 90 minutes of suffering. Um, and Chicago if I had the fire. option, uh, not, not just them, <laughs> but if I had the option of, of listening to Petkey where I knew that he might not even say like, oh, there's, there's, this is who's subbing in and this is, you know, why it's significant. If he's going to be talking for 10 minutes about another topic while the game's going on, I would be fine <laughs> with that. Um, that would be more interesting. You know what? If he told me that to, to get that, I had to pay him like five bucks a month, I'm in. I'll pay the five bucks for that. <laughs> Yeah. All right, Mike Petke, if by some freak occurrence you're listening to this, call us, email us. We will we will help you set this up. We will work with you to make your computer work. <laughs> this might this might be the first time that DC fans and New York fans uh cooperate to get something done. Yeah, I think this would be complete agreement. I mean, we 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 this is the second time. The first was establishing the Atlantic Cup, and now now this is a natural outgrowth of that. <laughs> So let, let's turn back to on the field. For Sunday's game, um, we know that the Red Bulls came out and tried to boss possession against Sporting Kansas City. DC United's a very different team than the Sporks. Uh, I, I know you don't have a whole lot to go on, but how do you think the Red Bulls will come out and try to play against DC United come Sunday? Uh, I imagine they're going to come up in a tempo style. I mean, it seems like that's what the game plan for um, March is going to be this year is to play a tempo style the whole time. And in MLS, you can kind of get away with that because not a lot of teams are great on a counter. So unless you face a really good high-pressure defense, most times you're going to at least control possession, and that's kind of what we saw against Sporting. Um, you know, they lost Raylene Collins, so their back line was trying to find themselves. Uh, Matt Beasler got into trouble early and came out of his game. So the Red Bulls kind of be able to take advantage of it. Um, I think it kind of helps that uh, Fabiana Spindola isn't available for you guys. Uh, I know we talked about that on our show. I'm not going to get into it too much. But um, it seems like, at least for this game, you guys aren't going to have the wealth of offensive firepower that you should have. And, of course, that will help us because we won't have to necessarily defend as much or as stringently. Um, if the Red Bulls can somehow manage to uh, get some pressure on on DC for like a 15-20 minute stretch, I think you might see DC crack a little bit. Uh, I actually predicted a 2-1 win on our show, uh, mostly because I figured, um, you know, first home game of the season that have haven't played in two weeks, so it's kind of everybody got to rest on top of after the preseason, so it's just kind of like that mojo coming together to get get it done. But I think it's going to be a very tight game anyway. I don't think it's going to be like a 2-1 game, but everybody looks at it and says, yeah, it's 2-1, but the Red Bulls really blew them away and just didn't finish their chances. I think it'll be like maybe like three shots on goal at most for either team, and just the Red Bulls happen to get one extra one in. Um, and maybe most of it's in the midfield. Uh, I suspect that the Red Bulls will have a little bit more possession, uh, one being at home and two. Uh, last week they did show, like I said, I think it was like 58% of possession. So if they can keep that up, then there's no reason to think that they can't at least get, say, 50 to 55 against DC. All right, so you know this question is coming. If you were game planning against this Red Bulls team, what would you focus on? What is what is their weakness? Where would you attack? The weakness seems to be if you can counter, get the ball wide and cross it in. Because the goal against DC came where... Um, I forget who was on the wing, but Roy Miller was not playing on the wing. He was playing in the center. And the two guys who were on the wing couldn't stop a cross. When the ball got in, went past Roy Miller, went past, I think it was Zubar, 
and it was a wide open shot. And basically, Luis Robles had no no chance. He was left out to dry. So it seems like right now the way to beat this team is to get numbers ahead and get the cross in before the defense has a chance to get back. All right, Evil Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Do you guys have anything else to ask him before we we ship him off back to the swamp? He doesn't really live near there. No, um, he doesn't. That's why we're shipping him <laughs> off. Oh. We're, we're getting him. We're, we're sending him, him out of his own home. We're sending him to his real home before the game. <laughs> uh, answer, Jason, answer your question on questions. No, I don't have any more questions. <laughs> Thank you. That was very helpful. <laughs> I'm beginning to question which one's the good Jason. Uh, <laughs> Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? All right, so uh, I'm the managing editor of Once a Metro, so that's onceametro.com. Uh, it's an FB Nation blog just like Black Red United. I'm the host of the Red Bull Rant podcast, which you can also find at Once a Metro. And uh, on Twitter, my handle is at Dr. Stooge. Now I want to throw this out there. Uh, I've started a weekly feature for Once a Metro where I play the FIFA video game. I play the matchup with the Red Bulls. So this week I'll be playing the Red Bulls against, obviously, DC United. Um I live stream that at twitch.tv slash once a metro. So if you want to come and make fun of how bad I am at the FIFA video game, feel free. And I've heard mostly from you that you are pretty bad. Well, I'm only I'm only on the semi pro level still. I mean, if I can't get I, I, I can't even score like two, three goals to none. So if I can't do that, then I can't move up yet. So Alright. Uh, find us, of course, at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter, at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu, for the website. Send your hate mail to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. And we did get some hate mail this week. We will read it next week, I, I think. Uh, we are on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud, mostly when you're on the bus up to New Jersey this weekend. Tell a friend about us and, you know, lend them your headphones or something. If you're sitting uh, next if, to a stranger, just give them your headphones. It's a bus. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I, why don't you guys just tell them it's to bribe the weird. bus driver? Or, or yeah, that's that's smart, too. Bribe the bus driver and put us on uh, the speakers uh, for the whole bus on the way up there. That would be pretty awesome. Anyway, for Jason and Ben, <laughs> I'm Adam. We will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.